to remember the principle, you are what you eat, what they ate, right? So when cows eat grass, their tissues are full of omega-3 fats. That's going to reduce inflammation in our bodies. If, if cows are fed grains like corn and oats and other things, their tissues are full of omega-6 fats, which cause inflammation, things like heart disease and cancer, diabetes, leads to obesity, all of those health issues if we have those fatty acid ratios in balance. Welcome back to the Ancient Health Podcast, where we educate you on real health solutions that will help transform the way you live, feel, and overcome disease naturally. I'm your host, Courtney Versage, along with Dr. Josh Axe and Dr. Chris Motley. We're so happy you've joined us. Let's dive into today's episode. Thanks for joining us today on another episode of the Ancient Health Podcast. Our guest today is no stranger to the podcast or to our community and really needs no introduction. So welcome to the show, Dr. Josh Axe. Thanks for being with us today. Super excited to have you. Yeah. Hey, Courtney. Great to be here. I know that we've done a couple interviews together before, and I always love uh, chatting and connecting all things, you know, nutrition and health and food is medicine. So yeah, excited to dive in today. Yeah, today is, is going to be a really fun episode because we're doing kind of a different take or twist on some nutrition questions specifically that actually our audience and a lot of our listeners have been asking for. So I know that this will be super helpful. This will be a very tactical and practical episode. So if you're looking for just advice, you're somebody that's shopping, trying to provide meals, making those lifestyle decisions that affect your health. This is these are the questions that came from our very listeners. So I think that it's going to be really helpful and we're going to dive right in because I know we have a ton of ground to cover. I want to kick us off with where most people probably find confusion, which is in the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And they're shopping around and they're looking for animal products or produce. So if we're looking at things like animal products and meats and somebody's at the counter and they're looking to buy the best there's all kinds of marketing and labeling and things that can be confusing. So what would you recommend in a food versus food of meat specific items? If it's labeled as grass fed, or if it's labeled as USDA organic, and I know that they're not mutually exclusive. Sometimes we see overlap with both of them, but sometimes we don't. And what would you advise that person? Or if it's yourself and you're shopping with your family, what is it that you're going to gravitate towards and why? Yeah, it's a great question. Sort of the what's better, grass-fed beef or organic beef, if it's just one or the other and not both. So I think for us, I would tend to lean maybe slightly more grass-fed. The only reason being is I think that grass-fed meat tends to be raised more organically, generally speaking. Now, that's not always the case. I think, let me kind of tear this out of sort of what I think people are looking for. Number one thing you want to look for is I think buying from a local farmer is ideal and something that is both organic in nature. And what, it, what organic means is, is that there are certain standards to which the animal has not been exposed to or injected with different chemicals like growth hormones. And maybe they haven't, they haven't eaten genetically modified feed. Uh, so they've been exposed to less things that are unnatural, less chemicals. They probably have been uh, banned or, or you're not allowed to inject them with most steroids and growth hormones. And so you know that your meat essentially with organic is going to be chemical free. So that's what you're looking at with organic. With grass fed, we're talking about, does it have more omega-3 or omega-6 fats? 
And so, and other fats like CLA. So remember the principle, you are what you eat, what they ate, right? So when cows eat grass, their tissues are full of omega-3 fats. That's going to reduce inflammation in our bodies. If, if cows are fed grains like corn and oats and other things, their tissues are full of omega-6 fats, which cause inflammation, things like heart disease and cancer, diabetes, leads to obesity, all of those health issues if we have those fatty acid ratios in balance. So I would say when you're buying, now here's one other thing to throw in there. There's a difference between 100% grass-fed or grass-finished is that same category. And it's saying grass-fed because somebody can still have grass-fed on their label and the last 90 days of life, they're able to feed, load them up on grains for 90 days. So the cow can eat grass most of their life or at least nine months a year and can still be called grass fed and fattened up that last 90 days. And so all that being said, I think when you're shopping in the grocery store, I think ideally try and look for both, right? Try and look for something that says organic and grass fed on the label. When you're looking locally, there are plenty of farmers that don't follow the, that don't pay for the USDA organic seal, which by the way, that's something you're paying for is for a company to go in and evaluate the farm and the livestock, the whole process, and give them that stamp of approval. But there are local farmers who say, you know what, I'm going to raise my animals organically. I'm not going to feed them genetically modified feed or inject them with bovine growth hormone, but I'm gonna follow all those practices and I'm gonna feed up my animals grass 100% of the year. And that meat is just as good has something that has that same label in Whole Foods Market or Sprouts, your local health food store. So I would say ranking them most importantly. I mean, truthfully, I, I guess when I'm thinking about it, it's just such a hard thing. Do you want less toxins or do you want more bad fat? So it, it's a very hard thing. Rethinking this, I do think USDA organic might be, if I had to pick between the two, it is just so close that might edge it out based on what I know about the industry and owning myself 4,000 acres of certified organic farm, myself and Jordan Rubin co-own a lot of certified organic land. And we have hundred percent grass fed uh, animals we raise. In fact, we don't just raise cows. Um, we raise a specific type of cow called a zebu, um, which my daughter now who's two years old loves the, there's a veggie tales episode and it's about the zebu, which is the same thing as zebu. And so anyways, um, all that being said, they're the sort of cows that have a hump on their back that you'd find in places like the Middle East and India. That's sort of the most ancient breed of cow. We also raise water buffalo and yaks and goats and sheep and ducks. All that being said, from what I know about regenerative agriculture, which is something we're very passionate about, I do think if you're buying from a grocery store, okay, so back to this, if you're buying from a grocery store, I think the USD organic thing is something that can be important. And then we're talking about grass-fed beef. Now, let me throw this out there, though. It, this is when we're talking about beef. When we're talking about bison, it's probably a little bit differently because they don't, bison are not typically herded into bins and fed grains like cows. So when you're buying bison at the grocery store, USDA, or, USDA organic is probably less important and grass-fed is probably more of what you're looking for and, and just more now to match you what's going to happen there. But um, anyways, I know there was some clarity there, not complete clarity, yeah. but I do think look for hundred percent grass fed or grass finish uh, ideally as probably the top things. And then, uh, 
and then grass fed and organic, those things can be important as well. And sometimes it depends upon the animal. Wow. That was really, really good. I love the way that you unpacked that and really differentiated uh, not only beef from bison because, and, and I think that, you know, with the reason that bison just as a different species, like they, they are a leaner meat, but they, they do thrive in a grass fed predominantly. They, they, they can't be herded into lots and stuffed full of corn and, and other grains. Like they, they, they don't sur- survive and thrive in that type of capacity. So I think that their meat is a little bit leaner, but that's where you do see a lot of that increase in toxins. Like you mentioned, stored in the, the fatty portions of the tissues of cows that comes from that finishing portion. So, and the other thing too, is, is if it's not really disclosed on the label, if it's just like a cow in a pasture and it looks great, but there's not a whole lot of verbiage around, you know, it being USDA organic, some of that can be very misleading because it looks pretty on the package, but it's not necessarily what the picture of the cow, I'm sure if you went and actually saw where the cow was living, it might not look like a sunny hill with green grass. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that that was really, really helpful. And I also love the, the VeggieTales plug because I'm just glad VeggieTales are still around. <laughs> well, you know, I don't think there's new episodes, but we just, you know, <laughs> I, I, that wasn't my time. I'm 40. And so I don't uh, I didn't grow up on those, but my wife did uh, yeah. or her, her younger brother did. who's in his early 20s. And so. Um, she, you know, anyway, so yeah, but we, we love, uh, we love veggie tales around here. So, oh yeah, I can still hear the little song in my head. Cause my, oh, it's in my head. They're hard to get out. grew up on it too. So that's, uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, <laughs> you can go check that out in your spare time. Yeah. Okay. So now, okay. We've covered some meat products. Let's switch gears over to produce and we're in a season now uh, where we're recording this episode and it's springtime and yeah. we've got a lot of local farmers markets that are popping up. And, you know, a lot of our audience, we like the, we like the process of supporting people that have local businesses, but we also yeah. like being outside and, and it's, it's a fun thing to do as a family. But again, as you had mentioned, you know, sometimes the USDA organic labels, those are expensive. So local small farms are not paying for that. If it comes down to, hey, I want to make sure I have certified organic lettuce or kale, other forms of produce, or am I supporting my local farmer at a farmer's market, you know, which one would you tend to say is probably going to have a better quality product? Well, you know, I I think generally your local farmer's market is going to have some of the best food you can get and probably the most nutritious, you know, up until really 150 years ago, uh, even less than that to some, some degree you know, when people were getting their food, they were going to the local farmer's market. And I would say even up to really 80 years ago, you know, so somebody was going to their local market and the food was just plucked, you know, that week or that morning in some cases. And, and, and there are plenty of studies, by the way, uh, if somebody wants to do some research and, and actually finding how much nutritional value is lost over that first two week period of time after a after produce is harvested. And so when you look at, for instance, a lot of our produce, especially fruit would be a good example of this, is imported from places like Mexico and China. And so if you're getting, let's say, you know, a locally grown apple and you, and it was just picked a couple of days ago, you know, you're, you're probably getting double the nutrients than if it was plucked two weeks prior. And so it, it loses a tremendous amount of its nutritional value. Now, I will say, I did read another study that was very interesting on fruit, as we're talking about this, that freezing it can help it maintain a lot of its nutritional value. So 
buying like frozen berries is one of the best things because they'll if it's a company that's really great, maybe it's certified organic blueberries or strawberries, something like that, uh, they'll harvest those, they'll freeze them immediately. And so actually, oftentimes by buy, buying frozen berries, you're getting more nutrients than if you would go to your health food store or, or a larger supermarket and buying a fresh apple, sometimes much more. So, so, so that's something to consider as the nutritionalist value lost. And because of that, I very much prefer for ourselves to buy from a local market if you can. And listen, certain places do this. Like we'll shop at Whole Foods Market uh, when Chelsea and I are in Nashville and uh, where we, you know, one of the places where we reside part of the year. And um, with that, you know, they have some local so uh, or regional, for instance. So they'll have, uh, I remember last time I was in there, they had peaches from Georgia, right? So North Georgia, not far from Nashville, bring those in. So they're probably a few days old. And then they'll have some local stuff there as well. And then, of course, they'll have stuff they'll have imported from Mexico and some other areas. So all that being said, but I think the more close it is your region. Now, here's another interesting thing to remember. I wrote a book years ago called Eat Dirt. And the principle of the book was really all about how to strengthen your immune system, how to uh, be more closely connected to your area and how that helps your immune system. A lot of people don't realize how important it is that we are connected to our local area in terms of our immune system. So, you know, anytime anybody has allergies, they will tend to, we've heard of an old remedy, an old ancient remedy for that is local honey. Okay. And remember this, it's local honey, raw and local honey, not just any honey, mm -hmm. local, because what honey has in it has over, it has over 200 different types of microbes in different things that are allow you to build up a tolerance in your area. I had a friend call me yesterday who was having terrible allergies. And he said, what do I do? I actually just moved to North Carolina uh, from Utah. And, uh, and, and I told him, I said, hey, you can use some stinging nettles right now for immediate uh, relief, some quercetin. I gave him some other things and, and diet. And I said, hey, you, you know, your body's not used to this pollen. You haven't built up an immunity. I said, you have to really go and build up an immunity to things in your area. Uh, mm -hmm. So there are today when we hear things like immunization, we always think of a shot. But the truth is, is that we can in certain ways, not the exact same way. But what I'm talking about is you can naturally immunize yourself to things like pollen in your local area. And that strengthens your ability to fight off. So there's an old uh, I'm not going to get too much into the scene. But if anybody likes the movie, The Princess Bride, there is a part there where the main character I think is consuming, it might be cyanide or something, he builds up a tolerance to this. And, and there are, are ancient tribes that have actually done this with things like snake venom. And so anyways, your body can build up a immunity to a poison and a tolerance. So think about it like that. When your body has so much pollen in an area, you're now having an immune reaction. Your body is responding to it like it's a poison. It's too much for your immune system to handle. But if over time, if you've been consuming local bee pollen is ideal, or things like royal jelly and propolis and that raw local honey, those are all, all part of that, all part of honey, local honey. It's like you're getting those small immunized doses daily. So you're, you're building up your, your immune muscle. So when all of a sudden you have this big onslaught of pollen, your body's like, oh, I've been dealing with a micro dose of pollen every day for nine months, and then now it's spring or fall and allergy season, I'm more able to deal with this issue. Now, there are other factors regarding allergies, but I think that's actually about 50% of the equation or more 
when it comes to eliminating seasonal allergies. Bringing it back in to this loop is that the same goes with your local, with local food. When you are eating cabbage or beets or carrots or an apple that's from the ground or from a local tree and they've been exposed to the different types of pollen and microorganisms in your specific area, it allows you to better adapt and deal with things that affect you regionally. There was a study out of Japan that showed that people that live in Japan digest seaweed very well. Not everyone might. Now, some of it is due to their ancient ancestors and things passed down biologically that have really supported them being able to better digest seaweed. But locally, people in Japan actually, and when they were eating seaweed, their body started creating things to better break down more seaweed as well in the future. So my whole point there is, is that eating locally has tremendous benefits for many reasons. Number one, the foods are more nutrient dense. Number two, the foods tend to be higher in things like soil-based probiotics and other microorganisms that help our bodies better adapt to things like pollen and bad bacteria and viruses that are more, or parasites even that are in our local area. So again, they're more nutrient dense, better for our immune systems and our digestive systems in most cases when you're buying food that's local or at the very least regional to your area. And so, you know, I know I went pretty broad there and wide with sort of that answer, but that's why I prefer eating locally whenever you can. Now, that's not to say that I don't consume certified organic food or, or vegetables from from South America, right? Or from Asia or the Middle East. And I absolutely do. Uh, I just, when I can eat locally, I try to. Now, if that's stressful to somebody saying, oh, I got to eat local, that's such a stressful. I do think there's a hierarchy of order that are things that are most important. I think the thing that's most important for most people is most people do very well with meat and vegetables, okay? Huge amount of vegetables, another size, you know, a healthy, normal size there of meat. And that's like, when I've worked with patients on reversing autoimmune disease or healing and fighting almost every condition, that's the diet most everybody does well with. Now, of course, there's unique situations with individuals where maybe some people who have a super high toxic load and their liver is stressed, maybe they need to do way less meat and even, even vegan for you know, a few weeks or months. And that can be okay, typically not good long-term. There are some people I know of somebody who follows an all red meat diet now, and she reversed her autoimmune disease with this uh, and anxiety. So, and then I know people that do well on some grains and some people who do well on, you know, with, with dairy. And so again, I think it's important to remember there is a personalized diet and you need to understand and start listening to your body to see what does best with your body. But when we're talking about hierarchy in terms of what foods are most medicinal for you? I think number one, it is about the food. So for myself, I noticed I do very well with a lot of cooked vegetables and some cooked meat. And then with that, I'll do some coconut. My body does very well with coconut. Uh, it doesn't do as well with vegetable oils, especially a lot of nuts and seeds. Okay. My body won't do well with a lot of that. I do pretty good with some like sweet potato. I do good with rice as a grain. And so I've just learned over time and my body really thrives and does well with certain things. I don't do well with coffee. I don't do well with a lot of eggs or a lot of dairy. And so again, so for me, healing nutritionally, I know that that's at the, that sort of, or you can call that the base foundation of the way I eat. And then when I'm saying, what's the next tier of what the lengths I'm trying to go to to get healthy, 
then I'll think of, about things like eating locally, uh, eating seasonally as well. And typically those are going to go fairly hand in hand. So kind of a long way to answer right. that question, but just some thoughts that, that I think yeah, are important I, I, to consider. No, I think that, that that's great. And I was taking some notes too, because I love how you broke it down. It, it, it almost, it, it simplified and almost just expanded really what most people are looking to accomplish, which is ultimately to thrive and to experience health in the best possible way for their unique body. So it's looking at it from that bio individual approach of, okay, I probably don't need everything. Not everything is going to be right for me. And so I need to look at what those foods are. And then it's how, then it's looking at quality. How can I get those nutrients in the most nutrient dense form, you know, where there is a, a decreased amount of, of toxic burden and a high nutritional um, value to that food. So it's maybe shopping locally. And I always think the farmer's market too, like for me, it's a whole experience and I love it. But if you can't get everything there, then it's, you know, you can piece together some of the other things from the grocery store too. Yeah. And, and I think that that, that really alleviates that pressure of I'm going to do all local. <laughs> Exactly. Well, in the way that Chelsea and I work right now, and by the way, we're spending some time in Puerto Rico right now, and also spend some time in Nashville. But with that, either area we are, we tend to try, and it's kind of a fun family thing we do. Once a week, we go to the farmer's market or local market, you know, and that's sort of what we get in that rhythm. And for some people, maybe it's once a month, right? Or maybe just whenever you can. But for us, we tend to do this sometime on either Saturday or Sunday, and we'll go to the market and we'll go grab some stuff. And then we run out middle of the week and then we go to Whole Foods or Fresh Mart here if we're in Puerto Rico or something like that and, and just do our best. And again, going back to that hierarchy, I sort of missed one. And that is very much this foundation of the food that's best for you. And then things like organic and grass fed and then things like local and seasonal. I think those are you know all things to consider. Yeah, I think you encapsulated that perfect. And I really love the little segue you did with allergies because that, that is really important, especially right now. And I think that the reason so many people struggle with allergies is because our lifestyle keeps us inside. We're away from nature. Our bodies are not being exposed to a lot of these allergens and, and just different forms of nature that produce things that can become irritants to our bodies. And our immune system is very triggered by it. And so we, you know, respond with all these symptoms. So I, I appreciate you kind of taking it down that, because I know that that will be super helpful for our listeners. So uh, let's switch over to the full broad spectrum of milk alternatives. Most people are pretty familiar now. I mean, it's like a whole, you know, it, there's cow's milk, but that's, that's, you know, most people have steered away. People that are health conscious are looking for, you know, milk alternatives. And now we see it in an explosion in that marketplace. Uh, but we have so many options from almond milk, coconut milk, soy milk, cashew milk, flax milk, you know, all of the above. And so for somebody and, and, you know, the seed oils too, I, I know can get a little bit overwhelming for a lot of people because you, they creep in, we can replace, you know, you can yeah. make a paleo diet and make nut everything. <laughs> so yeah. what are, what are your thoughts? What's the take on milk alternatives when people are shopping or looking for something like that? You know, how are you looking at it in terms of a nutritional support or supportive product to, you know, your health or anyone that, you know, could be listening and what they're looking to accomplish? Yeah, I think, and, and we can go through the same thing. Let's rank milk in a hierarchy. You know, let's do a ranking system here. So, and I would say, again, a lot of this is personal. So, and I think this is what dairy is. It's probably the biggest of all foods where you need to listen to your individual body. So 
myself growing up, I did a lot of dairy. And because of it, I was constantly getting bronchitis and colds. And so what I found for myself, just to share personal experiences, is that, you know, I found when I do just regular cow's milk, I mean, it is mucus and phlegm and I get sick. It is when I've done IgG and IgE food, really a food intolerance test. It's when it's always off the chart for me. It's the thing I am most sensitive to for myself. So I don't do very well with it. Now, goat milk was much lower for me. It was, it was more mild on my, thing, on my IgG panel where I was, I was full on severe with cow's milk. So I did some goat milk products, like a little bit of goat cheese, goat yogurt, things like that. I've also done some sheep yogurt and cheese. My body does better with those. But I can tell, hey, if I did it once a week, I'm okay. If I do it even more than that, my, my body doesn't really do well with that either. And then, you know, I, I was, we've created products like water buffalo yogurt, even at our own, our own farms. And I'll do even a step better with that, but still my body doesn't do very well with much dairy. And so that's me. Now, my business partner, one of my best friends, Jordan Rubin, uh, he's the co-founder of Ancient Nutrition with me. He founded Garden of Life in the past. This amazing guy. He healed himself from ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. He had lost uh, like 80 pounds, was in a wheelchair on his deathbed and literally healed himself by drinking raw fermented goat and cow's milk, like a kefir, just raw local kefir every single morning. And literally it was like the thing that healed him, that and soil-based probiotics. So, and actually kefir, a traditional kefir made from like a, like a, like a sheep milk or goat milk or A2 cow's milk is going to be maybe the highest probiotic rich food there is. So it's very high. He was doing so. So my point with that is, is that he literally healed autoimmune disease with that being the number one food he consumed. So dairy can be all over the place. I think for a lot of people, and a lot of it, I think has to do with genetics. I've, I've read some good research on this in terms of where your heritage DNA, right. And sort of, and there's a, I don't know if anybody's in a test like 23 and me can sometimes tell you a little bit. There's even more specific tests. All that being said, listen to your body with milk and dairy products is my number one recommendation. Now I've tested all of them myself. I thrive on coconut milk. Like that's just something my body does well with. Now, some people like the taste of coconut or even if it's mild, hardly tasting it. Uh, they, they do well with that too. And some people just, they don't like coconut and, and so, or they may not do well with, with coconut, but for myself, I thrive on it. So for me, coconut oil, coconut milk, it, it, that's the product that I use and it's most natural when it comes from the can with like the BPA free liner. Now you can also get it in certain boxes, but oftentimes they're adding a lot of gels and gums to some of these, uh, to, to some of these products as well. But that being said, I do very well with coconut, the benefit of coconut it's going to be very high in those medium chain fatty acids uh, that are just easy for your body to burn as, as, as fuel. Now, the other popular ones we have, right, are going to be almond milk, oat milk, soy milk, and even things like rice milk, hemp milk, flax milk. There's, there's lots of milks out there. And so my top one, I would say, uh, that's safest for most people and healthiest for most people is coconut milk. And I'm not saying that just because it's good for me. I'm saying it because of the clinical research and because of working with thousands of patients over the years. This is the one I've seen people respond the best to, whether somebody is vegan or keto, right? I mean, it, people do very, very well on this fat in most cases. So that's number one. Number two, if you do well with dairy, 
you know, probably a goat milk or a sheep milk product or an A2 cow's milk. So getting into something a little bit scientific here, genetically, cows can have either all A2 milk. So A2 is a type of casein. So remember, in cow's milk, there's two types of protein. There is whey and there's casein. Whey is a protein that's fast acting. Your body absorbs. Bodybuilders will consume it in the middle of workouts to help put on muscle or people wanting to lean out, athletes, things like that. So whey protein is a fast acting protein. Casein is a protein that burns very, very slowly, but there are a couple types of casein, A1 and A2. A1 casein we're finding is very inflammatory and allergenic and is more recent in cow genetics. As we've started breeding cows like Holstein cows, it actually created a new type of protein that a lot of people are allergic to. A2 is a more ancient form of protein found in cows and sheep and bison and buffalo milk that is less allergenic. And that's why, generally speaking, sheep milk or goat's milk products tend to be less allergenic and easier to digest. So if you do well with dairy, I think doing a goat milk, a sheep milk, or an A2 cow's milk product can be beneficial. But if you don't do well with cow's milk or, or dairy at all, like I don't, that's going to kind of move all the way down to the bottom of the list of things you want to stay away from. So for some people, it could be number one or number two. If you don't do well with it, though, and you're, you have an intolerance to it at all, it's going to move down to the last place, probably with soy, which I'll mention. So then after that, I probably like almond milk the best because it's just almonds. You're getting a little bit of, you know, you're mostly getting some monounsaturated fats right there with, with unsweetened almond milk. And then we get into oat milk and rice milk. Now, I, I do pretty well with a rice milk or an oat milk if it's a small amount and that's the only thing in the product. Here is my problem today. The number one selling in most of the other brands of oat milk, they add sunflower oil or safflower oil. Now, sunflower oil is very high in omega-6 fats. So if you're doing even more than a small amount of it, even listen, if you're doing a splash in your coffee, I don't know, it's not a major. I, I want people to focus on majors, like eat lots of vegetables, right? And berries and bone broth, right? So like, I don't like to overwhelm people with this stuff. So, hey, if you're having like a splash here, a splash here, a few days a week, it's fine. But if you're doing like a glass of oat milk, you're getting a tremendous amount of omega-6 fats, which is the same issue you'd have if you were eating non-grass-fed meat and you're getting all those omega-6s. That ratio, remember your ratio of omega-3 to omega-6s should be around one to one to four to one in that ratio. Well, if you're getting all these grams, you can go to 25 to 1, 50 to 1 and beyond. And now you're causing inflammation in your joints, in your gut, throughout your entire body, increasing your risk of autoimmune disease and a number of other health issues. So that might surprise some people. Now, listen, again, it's not that I don't like the other issue with oat and rice milk is just straight carbohydrates. Now, it's probably not as bad for you as juice. They're more complex carbohydrates. They're not as much just plain sugar as much, quite. So if you're having a little bit here and there of rice and oat milk on occasion and your, the rest of your diet is very, very good, you're okay. But I would say if you want to be safe and do the healthiest milk, coconut milk is number one. Now, soy milk has xenoestrogens. They're estrogen mimickers uh, that are going to you know, increase you know, men having more uh, feminine hormones, just general women. Estrogen going high can increase rates of infertility cause PCOS syndrome and another of other 
uh, hormone imbalance issues. So soy to me is at the bottom dead last where coconut's probably number one. But then those other, those other milks for most people lie somewhere in the middle based on what you tolerate and what your body does well with. That is a great breakdown. What are your thoughts on oat milk uh, as it relates to glyphosate? Because I have read, mm, heard. Sure. Um, well, yeah. Well, well, is it organic, right? I mean, okay. I mean, and, and the other thing now, yeah, now this could be a whole nother topic too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what are my thoughts on rice milk because of arsenic, you know, that's naturally right. occurring. So, so I think if somebody's doing a certified organic oat milk, uh, there's one or two brands I have in my head that are organic. All the others are not, but, um, I don't think it's probably too much of an issue. Um, again, it's, a, this goes back, Courtney, to this thing of majors and minors. I found that, that a lot of people, this is, this is just, I want everyone to think about this. I know a lot of people who live in a state of obsessing about what they eat to the point that it's actually unhealthy for them. I would rather that like, like if you're constantly thinking, and if you're thinking too much and too worried about what you're putting in your body and your kids are putting in your body to where you're trying to feed them perfect, every last thing that's more unhealthy than going ahead and giving them that fruit roll up in most cases or a French fry on occasion. Or so, you know, I think that I've realized that over the years, as I studied Chinese medicine and Ayurveda and just practice as functional medicine for years and work with patients and learn for myself, I've learned that there's really this healthy balance of doing everything you can. That's very good for you as much as you can. But for instance, when Chelsea and I go to Italy, I'll have gluten. I'll have a piece of pizza with fresh mozzarella. Now, do I still think it's pretty much real food because it's einkorn ancient weed and it's mozzarella. They just got that morning and things like that. Yeah. You know, so I always try and do my best, but Hey, if you're on a trip somewhere, you have one day a week or something else, like you want to, you want to walk that fine line of also not stressing yourself out too much. So the reason I bring that up with the oat milk is yes, it could have glyphosate if it's not organic. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's good to be aware of that. And the same would be for any grain milk. Okay. Not to say that almonds aren't that healthy either. The reason why coconut tends to be so good, it is protected by a thick shell. It's harvested in the Caribbean, shipped over. They crack the thing open. They, like it's the safest of all of them by far, not even close coconut milk is. That's why I love it. Any of these other things. Yeah, they can be sprayed. Almonds included, cashews included, rice included, soy for sure. So right. in fact, almost all of it's genetically modified soy. So anyways, I, um, you know, not everything is just black and white cut and dry, but those are, those are my, those are my thoughts there on it. Yeah. I, I, I like how you said that, you know, one, I think it's called orthorexia. I think maybe yes. that's the term. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I was that person for a while because the more, you know, the more, you know, you're aware. And so you feel like you got to control everything, but, but before you know it, you're super stressed out and, and you're not even enjoying your meals because you're overanalyzing them and then you don't digest them well. And, and it just drives inflammation and the cycle goes on and on. Um, but you know, I also love how you, you broke it down in the macro and the micro. So nut milks to me, you know, they, like you said, I, it's not like this old adage where it's, you know, milk does a body good. You need, you need to have milk in your diet. I think coconut milk and some of these other, you know, hemp or rice milk, whatever you tolerate best. But again, it shouldn't fill a macro category. That's not a big nutritionally dense food that you need to be, you know, consuming large quantities of every day. So if it is a small amount in your coffee or it's a little bit here and there, then I think that 
that, that mar- it gives you more margin to, you know, accommodate more probably in your diet. Is that, am I reflecting yeah. that? Okay. Um, yeah, that was great. Okay. So this is a question that I would love for you to break down. And I, I love, because you've got so much depth of knowledge when it comes to Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine, but a lot of times when we're looking for things like immune support, or it, it could be any type but maybe it's female hormones, but we kind of have two buckets. We have herbs and we have, we have vitamins or minerals or supplements that are yeah. ice. And so, you know, what is, how, what's the difference between the two? How would you go about incorporating one over the other or both, you know, using them together? I guess, what are the intended purposes of using an herb versus a vitamin or a supplement when you're looking at a condition that you're trying to balance in the body? Yeah, so here, here's how I would think about this. This is me thinking out loud, which I, which I, which is constantly what I do on a lot of these interviews. But what vitamins do is they support your body in doing what it's trying to do. So your body is trying to, you know, uh, have your heart beat healthily. Your body is trying to repair your own gut lining, right? So your body needs zinc to do that. It needs amino acids that are found in bone broth, like proline and glutamine to do that, right? So your body needs collagen, needs zinc, needs probiotics, it needs certain, but, but let, let's use zinc as an example. Um, it needs that to repair. It's an essential thing that your body needs to function properly. So nutrients support your body functioning. They don't change what your body does at all. They just, what herbs and spices do is they are medicine. They act as a natural form of medicine. If your body has too much inflammation, they can decrease that inflammation. If your body has too much cortisol, they can help naturally lower those, that cortisol. Um, medications do it in a different way. They do it way more forcefully. Okay, remember this. Medications came from compounds, isolated compounds, that are then synthetically manufactured to resemble the same thing that was found in an herb right? So that compound found in white willow bark or birch is now aspirin today. Okay. So, so all that being said, that's really the difference. And so thinking about this, if somebody has inflammation, I would tend to lean towards an herbal in most cases, because, you know, vitamins and minerals, not that they don't, not that magnesium and vitamin D and zinc to a degree, not that they don't support lowering inflammation, a little bit, but not as much as turmeric, okay, or galangal or rosemary or some of those herbs that are highly anti-inflammatory. You know, I, I think too, it depends on what someone has going on. Like if I have, let me give you an example. My cousin was doing Ironman triathlons and he started getting leaky gut because you do that much cardio, your body starts getting deficient in things. My cousin, I could have said, hey, you know what? You need to do licorice root and ginger and things like that. And that wouldn't have been bad advice. Those are good for the gut. But what happens when you're an athlete is you tend to run into a zinc deficiency because what zinc is for is for tissue repair. And if you're an athlete breaking down your tissue that much and having to rebuild it constantly, boom, zinc goes down. So then what happens? Well, then your immune system is weakened because you don't have zinc to repair your gut lining. And so then you start having loose stool, leaky gut, issues like that. So I could have recommended all kinds of things for him, but that was due to a zinc deficiency. Let me think if I have a cut and dry answer for this. I don't know if I do. So, so like for, for instance, a virus, like if somebody has a cold or flu, right? Cold or flu season, everyone has an option. 
Do I take zinc, vitamin D, or vitamin C, or do I take echinacea, elderberry, and astragalus? Oh, goodness. What a, hard, what, a, what a difficult question for me to answer. My number one answer would be use food, because actually food, more than those two, has an ability to kind of do both. Food has nutrients, and it also tends to move your body in a direction of being cooling it or reducing that inflammation or drying it or getting it more, getting more fluids or so. So that's why food is always number one in this whole answer, right? You're sick. My number one answer is consume chicken vegetable soup. Okay. Bone broth and loads of vegetables, right? There's vitamins, there's minerals. There's also certain properties of the food that are not near as strong as an herb, but act like that. And then it really depends upon the condition. If somebody is like their immune system is just down and weak, Man, I really do like an elderberry. If somebody has a lung issue where they're not breathing, like their lungs are weak and they, we got to strengthen up the lung, echinacea is really, really good for that. But if somebody is just generally, their immune system's weak all the time, like it's a chronic issue, then I'd really look to a vitamin D and zinc deficiency in most of those people. Could be C, less likely, but still could be. So most of the time I try and do both personally and, and prescribe or recommend both to people I work with. That's great. I, I do agree so much with that because I think that there is a place for both of them. And I'm interested too, and in, in your thoughts on this, I've always thought of vitamins and minerals, right? If we have a deficiency, then we may for an acute or short term scenario or short term period of time, we may need to supplement with those isolated nutrients to get back to baseline. But herbs to me are like, they're like organ or system modulators. So they help, they help that, that, uh, bringing balance and homeostasis. So, and even like, you know, adaptogens, they're very much, um, they're metabolized very easily in the body. If the body needs it, it'll use it to help bring strength and support to organ systems. But the, to me, the vitamins and minerals are like, we're pushing the levers on things where we really should be getting it from our food, but for one reason or another, whether we had an environmental exposure, we had a high level of stress, we depleted certain nutrients. So I feel like, you know, in the instance of maybe like a cold, like you were saying, it can be really helpful to do both because you're getting the new that you're getting, you know, the herbals that help support the immune system and the immune modulators. And then you have the nutrients that help strengthen, you know, if you're probably inflamed if you're fighting a virus or something like that, yeah. you're not even absorbing that much. So you're just kind of beefing that up too. That was kind of a, a picture that kind of came to mind when I was thinking about the two of them, but I feel like you kind of just described that too. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think they're important. One of the things that herbs and spices do so well and even better than most medications is that, that they work with your body. They, they don't, especially adaptogens, right? They're not forcing your body to do something it doesn't want to do. Uh, which is, you know, which is so incredible about, uh, about the way God wired our bodies with nature to work with nature to help us heal. Yep, absolutely. And that's why I like using mushrooms and, and different, you know, astragalus, things like that you can use on a regular basis. And, and I love using them and I feel great on them. But if I were to high dose vitamin C for a long period of time, we know that it'll drive mineral deficiencies and it'll create yeah, exactly. balances. So that can create some disturbance to the body. So Um, really it's an interesting note there on those two. So, okay, let's wrap this up because we've covered so much ground. Maybe I would love for you to share with our audience, maybe something that you and your wife and your family are doing in this season right now to support your health that maybe you don't do in other seasons. So if it's springtime, 
what are you including as far as food or movement that is kind of yeah. unique to this season? Yeah, well, one, as soon as spring hits, every day that's nice out, get outside. I mean, your body has just been deprived of not just vitamin D, but also there, there are, you know, there, there's something I love and, and you may want to, I've re- written an article, you could search on this, Dr. Axe on this. And I wrote about this in Ancient Remedies, a book, but it's called Forest Bathing. They did studies in Japan and found that when people went and just sat in the forest or hiked or we just went, went outside, uh, just the, the tremendous benefits it has to the body of what it does to your circadian rhythm and your brain and just, just healing you. And so one, get outside as much as you can. And especially if you can go on walks or, or, or go to the local park or get barefoot. And even if it's 40 degrees outside where you're at, you know, my wife's from Minnesota and I'm from Ohio originally. And, you know, it's not always as warm there, even in the spring. In fact, it just snowed in Minnesota, not that long ago, just like a week ago. So anyways, it's, um, I think the more you can get outside, that is number one. Um, and that's what we've been doing a lot of. We have been getting outside constantly with our daughter, Arwen, who's, uh, who's just about to be two. And so anyways, it's, uh, that, that's, that's the biggest thing. When we move into spring as well, you want to start getting a lot of things that are green in your diet. Throughout win- fall and winter, you want to eat eaten a lot of cooked foods and a lot of uh, warming foods like ginger and cinnamon and things like that. Moving into spring, think green, also a little bit of sour and bitter foods. Get some of those sour and bitter foods in your diet. Like have a Granny Smith apple, eat some sauerkraut. Once it gets to more, you know, a little bit late spring, I think starting to get some salads. Once it gets to summer, some vegetable juices. But I'm trying to do a lot of cilantro and parsley, a lot of those, those two in particular, parsley, cilantro, a lot of those fresh herbs, more, more salads, more light meals, more apple cider vinegar, those sort of things. So I think green and sour is this time of year. And if you're going to do a liver cleanse, March through May is the be- are the best times of the year to cleanse your liver. So if you are going to do a liver cleanse, liver gallbladder, now is the best time of year to do it. So I would say one, get outside as much as you possibly can. If it's a 20 minute walk outside during your lunch break or first thing in the morning or right when you get home from work or whatever it is, you know, but, but get outside, eat more vegetables, especially green vegetables and some of those sour foods, I think would be my biggest, uh, biggest. And spring is also the time where you want to start doing more cardio, just moving more, just, just, you know, um, the other thing about spring winter is the time of birth in Chinese medicine and Ayurveda. And in, in fact, just it's the way God created things. And so it's a time of birth, you know, you look at animals, right? Rabbits and things like that. Like certain animals are being born more so even t- certain times of the year versus others. And so that being said, it's a time of birth. What you do in the winter is when you meditate and you pray and you reflect and you set some things, you spend time with philosophy and setting goals and spring is a time of action. I am birthing something new. So if you've had something on your heart, something you want to do, now is the time to birth it. Now is the time to bring it forth metaphorically, as, they, as, uh, as, uh, as we could say for many things. And so now is a good time to, to, to birth those things that you uh, have on your heart. Yeah, that's a great word of encouragement to kind of leave us with. And, and it is, I love that we have seasons because it is, it's cyclical and not everything needs to look the same year round. So I think that should give everybody some permission and encouragement to, you know, always be able to let go of something that may seem comfortable and just normal and routine and really evaluate. Well, one other thing that's interesting about Chinese medicine, and this is related to something called the wood element, but 
a lot of times when you're indoors a lot, okay, you've been indoors all winter, the emotion that tends to most creep up is frustration because you're like, man, and like, this is why it's important to get outside and either run or play tennis or hit a golf ball or do a kickboxing class. It's the time of birthing. Think about birth, we are releasing, but also you're releasing something. If you're harboring unforgiveness, if you've had something you haven't let go of, like this is that time of year as well to do activities where you're punching or hitting or even swimming, moving, doing things where there's a lot of movement. And also, again, just it's not just that birthing thing. It's that I'm also, you know, letting that thing out, that anger or that frustration I've been storing up, you know, sharing that, getting it off your, getting it off your chest, right? Those sort of things now in a healthy, the right way, but you need to do it because a lot of times this has been the time we've been bottled up and now we need to release in a healthy way. Wow. All right. Everybody go outside. Move your body. Get outside. Like, let something go. That's right. so great. Well, Dr. Axe, thank you so much for being with us today, for sharing so much. I think this is really practical information. I know I took a bunch of notes and it's super helpful for me. So I am praying and hoping that this is uh, really moving the needle for somebody, kind of filling the gaps where maybe there were some question marks. But uh, if you love this episode, make sure you share it. Please leave us a review. We love to hear from you. We read them all. And yeah, we're just so thrilled to have you with us for this episode today. And we'll see you on the next one. Awesome. Hey, thanks for having me, Courtney. Also, hey, I've been loving the, uh, the Health Institute's Instagram channel. I'm on there constantly now. And so I just want to say, I, uh, you know, check out the Instagram page, the Health Institute. It's so fantastic. There as well. And also, again, I, I just want to say too, personally, I appreciate everybody who's, who, who's left reviews for the show. It allows us to continue to grow it and get the message out there of how to use food as medicine and these incredible ancient remedies that help people get well. And Courtney, you want to say, I always, you know, love our conversations. It's great being a partner here and co-host with you on occasion here on the podcast. So thanks everybody. And thanks Courtney. Yes, absolutely. Well, we always love having you and it is fun to be a part of the team and really reach people and see the world change and become a healthier place. So thanks for leading the charge and helping us all get there. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> thanks everyone.